Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy and chapter number 2. The book of 2 Timothy and chapter number 2. We are continuing with our series of the pastoral epistles, understanding the uniqueness of these epistles. That most of the other epistles are written to a specific church or to a group of people. To the church of Rome, to the church of Corinth, to the churches of Galatia. However, the pastoral epistles are written to an individual person. Both of these men, Timothy and Titus, are acting in the role of the pastor. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to uh, personal letters to individuals to instruct them, to encourage them to continue, and some practical tips for them to oversee the churches that they are God has placed them to be overseers in. We know that Titus was in the island of Crete and Timothy was in the church of Ephesus acting as the overseer. And as we find our way to the book of 2 Timothy, the apostle Paul has been arrested by the Roman government. Nero has gone crazy and has burnt down the city of Rome. He has blamed the Christians and Paul being one of the Christian leaders has been arrested and has been put in prison. At the time of this writing, Paul is not just in prison, but he is placed in the dungeon underneath the prison. He is in a place where there's no light, so he has to dictate these words to some one of his companions who's above in the upper level. At the same time, the apostle Paul is handcuffed to or uh, shackled to a Roman soldier. 24 hours a day, he is shackled to a Roman soldier. And it's under this context that the Apostle Paul is giving his last words to Timothy, his last advice, his last thing to help Timothy to continue to go forward. And we know that last words are very important. Paul is not wasting time. We know he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with a conscious idea that he only has a limited amount of time, a limited amount of space, only 83 verses to get across what is needed for Timothy to continue in the work. So we now find our way to the book of 1 Timothy in chapter number 2. The book of 1 Timothy in chapter number 2, as we see the Apostle Paul continuing with his writings, and we find our way in verse number 1. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 1, the Word of God says this, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2 Timothy in chapter number 2? The book of 2 Timothy in chapter number 2, notice the phrase, able to teach others also. Able to teach others also. And with the Lord's help, we want to hit this idea that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us to be able to teach others also. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, we're just asking that you would help us with this most important principle, the thing that you've given us to do, that we would have an understanding, and not just an understanding theoretically, but an understanding practically that we could put it into practice, that we could be obedient, that we can see your work not just worked at, but also accomplished. We're asking that you would just give me wisdom and discernment, that you'd give me the words to say, I set my goals, my ambitions, my desires, my thoughts aside, and just ask that you fill me with your precious spirit for the purpose that you get accomplished what you want done. In your precious name we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul is understanding that he is going to die very soon. And that his time, he has finished his course. He has kept the faith. It's laid up before him a crowd of righteousness. But he knows that the work must continue. And we understand that there's been a plan already given by the Lord Jesus Christ. In the gospel records, we see what is recorded, the uh, great Commission. The Great Commission is given five parts, each of the gospel records in the book of Acts, and that the five parts make the whole. But we could summarize the Great Commission this way, that it is reaching and teaching. That we're supposed to go out and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Reach them with the gospel, but we're not supposed to just stop there. The second part of the Great Commission is that we need to teach them to teach others also. We need to teach them. You see, the principle that we understand is that God doesn't want to work through addition. What do I mean by that? Well, it's not up to one person. For example, I as one person can only reach a certain number of people. That's it. I, I'm limited. So God doesn't want to grow through addition. He wants to go through multiplication. And that's the principle is that it's not responsibility of one it's the responsibility of all as we teach them to follow after the Lord, win them to the Lord, teach them to follow after the Lord, and move forward. So this is the principle that we understand here. In fact, here in verse number two, there are four people that are mentioned. Notice with me in chapter two and verse two. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So here we see there's four people. We understand, we've given this here. Who wrote this book? To speak to me. Paul. So Paul wrote to the, this book, and who was he writing to? Timothy. So we have a Paul and a Timothy. All right, notice again verse 2. And the things that thou, Timothy, has heard of me. So Timothy... The things that you heard of me, the things that I taught you, the things that I invested in you, the same, or sorry, the things that thou hast heard among, uh, of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Let me take a little pause here. You understand that things that are different are not the same? What is Timothy expected to teach? The same exact thing Paul taught Timothy. The same things. And of course, later on in the book of first, or 2 Timothy chapter 3, we could see some of the things that he taught. Thou hast known my doctrine, my manner of life. And he goes on and gives those things. The same, the things that you've heard among me, 
among many witnesses, the same commit thou to the third thing, to faithful men, who in turn shall teach others also. So here are the four people. Paul, a Timothy, faithful men, others also. So a Paul has already taken time to teach a Timothy. He has discipled him. May we use that word? Remember the way that we define discipleship here is that discipleship is developing the habit of obedience to Christ. Everything you do in the Christian life is habits. You get in the habit of reading your Bible. You get in the habit of praying. You get in the habit of going to church. You get in the habit of giving. You get in the habit of witnessing. What discipleship does is it provides accountability to go alongside someone and help them develop those habits. So Paul has discipled Timothy. He's invested and poured his life into Timothy. Now Paul has an expectation that Timothy needs to find men. But what kind of men? Any kind of man? Faithful men. That's the qualifier here. People who are going to be faithful. People who are going to be able to take the things that Timothy teaches them and the same commit those to the fourth group, others also. You understand that Timothy was not just supposed to teach faithful men and just stop there. But Timothy was to have the expectation that as he taught those faithful men, they were to turn around and teach others also. So we have four people here. A Paul, a Timothy, faithful men, and others also. You understand this is always going on. Because what's going to happen is that the Timothy is going to become the Paul. The faithful men are going to become the Timothy. And the others also are going to be the faithful men. And then it's going to keep moving on. It's always moving on. I'm going to ask you this question at the very end. But here you could start meditating. Who is your Paul? Who is your Timothy? And who do you expect your Timothy to teach afterwards? Everyone should have a Paul, meaning someone that's taught you, discipled you, helped bring you along, was a spiritual father, helped bring you across. And then as you've been discipled, you need to have a Timothy. Everyone who's a Christian who's been saved for a length of time needs to be, have someone that they're teaching. By the way, may I pause here? This is why things are falling apart, because we are disobedient to the Great Commission. There are some churches that have, have soul winning going correctly. We know that there's some churches that don't even have soul winning going correctly. But soul winning is not it. It is one part of a two-part equation. God expects us to go teach them or to reach them with the gospel and then to teach them to do the same. So we have four men, a Paul, a Timothy, Faithful men and others also. So with this, may I go ahead and explain some things from the text and from the word of God. The first thing I'd like to show you is that there's a principle to be followed. There's a principle to be followed. What is the principle? Teaching others also. This is the principle. We're supposed to be teaching others also. We're always supposed to be teaching others also. Would you mind to hold your finger here and turn with me to the gospel record of Luke. And let's go to the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel record of Luke in chapter number 5. 
This is the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And I want you to notice what Jesus Christ did. And the gospel record of Luke chapter 5, notice with me in verse number 8. The gospel record of Luke chapter 5 and verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, for they were all with him at the drought of fishes which they had taken. And it was so also that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. What are we understanding here? That Jesus, when he came to earth, he just not, did not just come to die. He did come and die. That was the most important thing he did. But while he was here, Jesus chose men and began to teach them. Why did he teach those men, by the way? So they could teach others also. We could see it followed through in the book of Acts chapter 2 that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So we understand that the first century church, they continued steadfastly that the same commit those to faithful men. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So the first century church learned their doctrine from the apostles. Who did the apostles learn the doctrine from? Jesus Christ. There was Jesus, the apostles, and then the disciples of the first century church with the expectation that it would continue on. We have a principle to be followed. Jesus gave us this principle, and it's now repeated by the apostle Paul here that we should be continuing with it. These men got Jesus' passion. They gained Jesus' purpose. Jesus showed these men how to do these things, and they continued on. There was a principle to be followed. It is to continue to go on. May I kind of show you a modern-day example? In the military, I was in the military for a while. It was an amazing principle that, let's say that the army are going through practicing shoots. Let's say they're shooting a mortar. And let's say that the mortal mortar accidentally shoots a farmer's cow. That's pretty devastating. Do you know that the military does not just replace the cow? But they also have to replace the losses of the cow. So they calculate the cow and what the cow could produce for five generations. So, and they have to repay the farmer for that. Think of, they'll calculate how many calves the cow can have. And then they'll calculate how many calves that the second generation will have. Then they calculate how many calves that third generation will have. Then they calculate how many calves that fourth generation will have. Then they calculate how many calves that fifth generation will have. And that is what they do to repay a farmer for killing one cow. That's a lot, isn't it? That's called multiplication, by the way. Let's just take the idea of numbers and apply it here. Let's say that we have one person who disciples another person for a year, 18 months. And let's say that every week, each of those people commit to witness someone, to ask the question, to give the gospel out. Well, the next year, those two will take another two. Year three, those four will take another four. 
The next year, that eight will take another eight. Year five, 16, take 16. How strong would a church be if they had 16 people discipling 16 people? The next year, the 32 will take 32. Year seven, 64, take 64. How strong would a church be if it had 64 people able to disciple? And at the same time, everyone is giving a gospel witness out. The next year, that 128, take another 128. The next year, that, uh, now I'm losing count of all this stuff. You start working out. Do you understand that in 10 years time, obeying the Lord and the principle he gave, we can make an impact in the city. What would the culture of Green Bay like if it had 3,000 people that were obeying the Lord, training another 3,000 people? Would it make a little bit of an impact? Maybe just a little? Do you know that with this idea in just one church, discipling, and each week them giving the gospel out, that numerically the entire world can hear the gospel in 30 years. You understand that when Jesus Christ gave us the great commission, he gave it to us to accomplish it, to get it done. However, most people work at the great commission like I'd run the Boston Marathon. All right, say I'm going to go to the Boston Marathon with my bad back and the weight that so easily besets me. And let's say that I go run the Boston Marathon. Am I expecting to win the thing? No, I go to the Boston Marathon to say I participated in it. Do you understand that's how most people treat the Great Commission? We treat the Great Commission like we're just participating. I was, I was a part of it. We don't do the Great Commission with the expectation to win it, to accomplish it. And that's where we fail because this is a command given by the Lord. This is something he gave. It wasn't the great suggestion. It wasn't the, well, if you get time and if you feel like it. If it works out for you, this is Jesus' command to us as he was leaving earth. But he made it so it could be accomplished. Not by addition, but by multiplication. There's a principle to be followed. That a Paul takes a Timothy. A Timothy take faithful men. And faithful men take others also. This can be done. Doesn't it sound like it's something can be done? Why isn't it been done? Why aren't we getting it accomplished? Because we're not obedient to the Lord. We get to the place where we expect the pastor to do everything. And everybody sits in the pews and yay. And things don't get accomplished. The Great Commission wasn't given to pastors. It was given to churches. And everyone has a part to play. That we're supposed to reach people with the gospel, then teach them how to do it themselves. And let it go on and on and on. There's a principle to be followed, which is followed by there's a price to pay. There's a price to pay. Notice if you don't mind the language of scripture in the following verses. As we go back to 2 Timothy in chapter number 2. 2 Timothy in chapter number 2. Notice in verse number 1 as we just kind of run through this. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So right before I tell you about discipleship, let me tell you, you need to be strong. You need to continue. I know I'm in prison, but the work should not stop because I'm gone. The work shall continue on if I'm there or if I'm not there. 
It should continue. A church should not be at the place where if the pastor's gone, everything falls apart. But it should be trained so it continues to go on whether he's there or not. Not saying that you could go without a pastor, but you understand what I'm saying, that it shouldn't be a whole different tone if the pastor's not there. It should continue on. It should continue to move forward. And if something does happen, the church doesn't come to a standstill, but it could still move on. Whether, <coughs> no matter what happens. And the things that thou was heard among me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou, not things that are different, the same commit thou to faithful men who should teach others also. Now notice this, verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness. There's a price to pay. Do you understand to obey the great commission? It's not easy. Why, why do, aren't more people involved with discipleship? Because it's hard. You're pouring your life into someone else. And may I tell you something that may be a secret? People have issues. People have problems. And so it's not a matter of just teaching them and say, all right, read this book, good luck. You have to be patient with them and go alongside with them and help them to grow. You have to pray for them because they're going to have growing pains. You know, the spiritual growth is like kids. You don't hand your one-year-old a textbook and say, all right, you read this and you graduate high school right now. They're not capable yet. There's a growing thing. Right? You get the two-year-old fits. No, no, no. You have to deal with that, right? You have to go to the teenage years. You have to survive that. When they're coming and making their own decisions. Christians follow the same pattern. And it takes a parent to raise a child. It takes a discipler to love on someone enough to go through that, not to give up and say, hey, if you're not going to listen, fine. You're on your own. Cut them loose. Get to the, you know, you've been, parents are there, you understand. The, there are times, right? It says endure hardness. It's saying this is not easy. That is why discipleship's not done. It's because it's not easy. It takes time. It takes lots of time. In fact, notice as it goes on, notice the language of Scripture. We're going to be talking about a good soldier tonight. But thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of his life. Um, we'll talk about this more tonight. But in the Roman soldier days, a Roman soldier was not allowed to own property, to own a farm, or own a business. Why? Because the Roman soldier, when he was called to go on, he didn't need the excuse, well, I can't, my crops are coming in. Who's going to mind my store? We understand that you have to, can't be entangled in the affairs of his life so you could be obedient to the thing that God has given you to do, die. In fact, D.L. Moody, you'll be surprised about this. He said, when I die, I want to leave behind as many faithful men serving Christ as possible. Well, that's the, should be the goal. They, there's many people to replace you in the work that when you die... The work doesn't die too, but there's many people who are doing the same thing moving forward. But there's a price to pay for this to be done. You have to work at it. There are some things you have to set aside in order to accomplish it. In order for discipleship to work. And that's why it's not being done. It's a life's work for this to be accomplished. 
it's not something that's just done in a day. You have to be continue to go on. We have to continue just to move forward. Now, may I pause here? That the ministry is not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon the Lord. We have to trust Him. We're just trying to make ourselves vessels used by God. Usable by Him. The work is dependent upon Him. <clears throat> we understand this principle. You cannot do more in the wor Lord's work until you do less. Think about that. You can't do more in the Lord's work until you do less. So many times we get so busy doing other things that we fail to do the one thing God has given us to do. What is the one thing that God gave us to do? Accomplish the Great Commission. But we get distracted with all kinds of other things. I remember talking to a young lady once who she was so happy. She goes, we, we're going to do a, a white glove skit. And what they do is they have white gloves and they wear a black suit and a black mask and they turn on a, 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 the special black light and all you can see is the gloves moving around and they do kind of a sign language. And I said, well, praise the Lord for that. I said, how many deaf people are you expected to show up? None. Okay. Uh, or are you expecting to bring in lost people? No. Then why are you doing it? Because it's fun. Well, you see, she's doing a lot of work, quote unquote, for the Lord, but nothing's being accomplished. And that's a lot of things that are being done. What are you doing for the Lord? How is it helping to accomplish the one thing God has given us to do, which is to accomplish the Great Commission? That's what we're going to be judged for, by the way. Are we obedient to the one thing God has given us to do? There is a price to pay. And it has to be paid in order to accomplish what God has given us to do. To set things aside. To put it up there. It is multiplication. Which brings me to the third thing here. There's a person to please. There's a person to please. We know that there's a principle to follow. There's a price to pay. But there's a person to please. Notice if you don't mind at the end of verse number four. No man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. The person to please is God. The person to please is God. And God is expecting us to do what he asked us to do. What is your motive? Why should you be involved in soul winning? For him. To be obedient. We tell people all the time that we go soul winning even if we don't see results. Because the results are up to God. Our purpose is to please Him. And if He chooses to allow us to see people come to know Christ, praise the Lord. But that's His business. Our business is to obey. Why do we participate in discipleship? To please Him. To do what He's told us to do. He's the one that we have to please. And the way to please Him is to obey what He's given us to do. To do what He's asked us to do. That's simple, isn't it? But we make things so complicated. The things that you've heard among, uh, from me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall teach others also. Oh, there's a Paul. There's a Timothy. There's faithful men 
And there's others also. Who is your Paul? Who taught you? Who influenced you? Who is your Timothy? Who are you currently teaching? You say, well, I've been trained, but I don't have a Timothy. Well, you know what you could do? Pray and then win someone to the Lord. There's plenty of lost people out there. You could have had one if you wanted one. As the old southern confederate said. <laughs> Go find them. There's plenty of lost people. If you pray as you ought and you really want one. God will give you one. It can be done. But this works. This isn't just theory. This is something that works. This is the principle that God gave to us. If you could forgive the personal illustration. I've been involved in personal one-on-one -on -one discipleship for 20-something years now. And it has been amazing to see what God has done. At current time, where we sit now, I have people that are now serving as pastors. People that are now missionaries on the field. People who are now, <laughs> I think I'm up to seven deacons. People who are full-time staff. Sunday school workers and whatnot. This is a principle that works. They're serving God now. And it's amazing the stories that happen. Again, if you could forgive, may I tell some stories? I'm just trying to encourage you now. I remember there was one young man who, who uh, was religious but lost. And he came to a special meeting that we had. Uh, we had a banquet and we had a table that was set up. And we just went through and one by one and said, how'd you come to know the Lord? Bounced it back and forth. And every one of them gave their testimony. And every one of them said, I have a peace. And when it got to him, he said, I thought I was saved until I heard about everyone having a peace. I don't have that peace. How can I know? And we took him to a back room and showed him how he can know Jesus Christ as a Savior. Afterward, we followed up and got him. Uh, he started to be involved in discipleship. And he started to change so much. Other people noticed. There was a time I was leaving outside of a of a retirement home. And it wasn't, associate, or it wasn't at the church. It was at a different campus. I walk outside of a retirement home. And there's his twin brother. Waiting for me. And he says. Whatever you did to your, my brother. Do that to me. He was saved. But because his brother started to grow. He felt lost. Because he, he was stagnant. Both of them now are on the mission field. Amen. And it worked. There was another young man. I had the privilege of working with. Um, after September 11th, I was in the military. They pulled me from my medical duties to help augmentee uh, security forces. And so there was a lot of us pulled. And uh, I can't be stuck anywhere 14 hours without talking about the Lord. And this young man wasn't in church. He had been saved but never grown. And he started to enjoy hanging out with me. And he wanted to know more. He started to get hungry. Then next thing you know, he started going to church and we began to disciple him. Until it came to them to the idea that his, his uh, fiance and him were living together. Well, we got to deal with this. And so I explained to him the principle. And he says, I think you, we need to do this. And so he went to his fiance and said, until we get married, we need to live in separate places. We need to work this out. Well, I got a phone call from her and she was not very happy. And I tried to explain the principle and she yelled and was not happy. Well, you know what happened? A couple weeks later, she came to know Jesus Christ as her Savior. And she does ladies' meetings nowadays, and she gives that testimony of how her husband got discipled, and because of his discipleship, she came to know Jesus Christ as a Savior as they stood on principles of God. 
Now, I'm not bragging on me. I'm trying to say, this is the principle that works, and here are some examples. And we can give over and over. It works. It works. It works. We just have to be involved. The Great Commission comes in two parts. Reaching, and that's soul winning, and that's things that we should be doing. We should be going out and asking the question every week, are you 100% sure if you die today, you go to heaven, and have the privilege to take the Bible and show them how they can know for sure that they're going to heaven. But afterwards, we all have a part to play in discipleship. Paul teaches a Timothy. Timothy teaches faithful men who are expected to teach others also. This is the plan that God has given to us. This is the principle that Jesus Christ himself followed. As he gathered men together, he taught the apostles. The apostles taught the first century church. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Things that are different are not the same. They taught the very same things that they were taught. And to continue to move it forward. This is something that we all need to be involved in. And we do it through our local church. It's how God set it up. But wouldn't it be wonderful if everyone in Green Bay had the opportunity to hear the gospel. And to be able to respond from a personal invitation to receive Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that make a difference? Wouldn't it change Seymour? Wouldn't it change everything? Not only just to have people who profess to be Christian, but Christians who lived like Christians. Wouldn't that make an impact? It can happen, and it can be done. I'm trying to tell you, the Great Commission is not something that's so far out there that we can never do it. We just pick at it. We're supposed to run the race to win it, and it can be done. Not by addition, by multiplication. That's how God expects it to be done. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.